0: Today's Spirit in Action guest is Beverly Ward, Field Secretary for Earth Care of Southeastern Yearly Meeting, and she does all kinds of work to motivate, inform, and unite people around the work of care for the planet. As part of her work, she offers a range of tailored earth care workshops, including topics like angelic troublemaking, climate equity, climate justice, racial wealth gap, and Project Drawdown. Her publications include Making Black Communities Matter, Race, Space, and Resistance in the Urban South. With degrees in psychology, film drama, public administration, and applied anthropology, she teaches cultural and applied anthropology at the University of South Florida in Petersburg. As an African American growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, Beverly was exposed to the civil rights movement in her childhood, and she participated in the anti war movement of the 1960s. These and other experiences have equipped her to live a life dedicated to making a better world, including performances by the Bon Jeverly theatrical troupe related to earth care. Beverly Ward joins us via Zoom from Florida. Beverly, how wonderful of you to join me today for Spirit in Action.
1: I'm very happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Aren't you required to be at the Friends General Conference gathering stuff online? I just came from the Bible half hour.
1: I have a break right now between what I really could be participating. I think what's coming up next is a Friends of Color breakout session around one, but maybe we'll be through. Maybe we won't, but I'm getting ready for my first workshop.
0: Keeping you very busy. (laughs) So let's talk about Quaker Earth Care Witness and your role as Field Secretary for Earth Care. We had a visitor to the Quaker meeting here in Eau Claire just yesterday, a woman who had never attended Quaker meeting before. And afterwards, as we're going around, people mentioned things going on in their life, including being part of a pride parade, also climate change activism. And she got around, she says, I've never been to any kind of church, that, that kind of thing would just come up and it's just accepted it's just normal it's not that it could never be mentioned but so the fact that southeastern yearly meeting which means basically what around georgia mainly florida that area that they have a secretary for earth care tell us about what that involves and what that means and why is it there
1: Long story short, if that's possible, but almost six years ago, oh, it is six years ago, the youth in our yearly meeting and some older friends came up with a minute around earth care. But the real push was the youth said, if friends are concerned about the urgency of climate change, do something about it. And it went from one minute to developing a position, a field secretary for earth care, then hiring, uh, opening up the position. I was on the earth care committee at the time. And I thought, Hmm, this position, the person can either spend all their time trying to fundraise for it, or they can do some work. Maybe I should apply. (laughs) And so I, uh, as usual in, in my life, I went from being on the committee to applying for the position. This is, as I'm alluding to here, this is not the first time I've done something like this, but I understood the sense that, and it's sort of the way the, it, it reads on the website, you know, faith in action. What are friends doing? Basically, my primary charge to the yearly meeting is helping individual friends and in our monthly meetings discern our actions in response to climate collapse.
0: And that is a very big thing to be addressing. And your background actually is cultural anthropologist and applied anthropologist. How does that fit together? I mean, anthropology, normally people think of looking for bones or something. and, (laughs) And here you are trying to construct the future.
1: I am trained as a four fields anthropologist, true, which does include some archaeology, but there's also linguistics, there's the social side, there's the bio side. As an applied four fields anthropologist, I bring all of that to it. My specialization is looking at how Humans, how we interact with each other, but also interact with our environment. And that's how I see myself being trained and and bring those skills. So, what are we doing as humans? How are we interacting with our environment? How are we interacting with each other? And if we want to affect change, if we want to walk gently on the earth, how, as an anthropologist, can I help friends discern what that means?
0: It still seems like an immense job. And of course, the more we learn about how people used to live on the earth, were we doing okay, you know, 500 years ago, and then we just went down the tube in the last couple hundred years, or or is this just a long-term, have humans ever been good at living with the earth?
1: In some places, and, and sometimes, yes. That's one of the things that I've been looking at very intensely. As field secretary for Earth Care, thinking about how other cultures have, at different times, have lived with the Earth. What can we share with each other from that past? What can we share with, from other cultures who have become marginalized now because of some of our decisions? But how are they? What what skills do they bring to? And what I one of the problems the way that I define where we are now is that we have lost a lot of those previous technologies and become very reliant on monocrops, monocultures that are really stripping the earth in a lot of ways.
0: It is a major problem, and it's the reason some of us, for instance, have chosen to become vegetarian or vegan. Certainly that impacts it. I read somewhere along the way that becoming a vegetarian – did more things beneficial for your impact on the earth than giving up uh, driving a Hummer. That uh, a Hummer certainly is not a wise choice, but the way you eat has so many cascading effects.
1: Right. You know, for one of the tenets of Project Drawdown, which is, you know, the top 100 things we can do to draw down our impact of putting carbon into the atmosphere, is. For example, educating women and girls and family planning that, you know, that becomes the top way to minimize our impact on the earth as a species. So, yeah, and that just looking at, again, what are we doing that causes harm to each other and as a species with that intra-species stuff and the the greater impacts that we have on other species and on the earth itself?
0: One of the richnesses that you bring to your work as field secretary for earth care for Southeast yearly meeting is that you are a person of color. And I think that one of the reasons I describe that as a richness, the more perspectives we have, the better opportunity we have to bring people together at the core and the important issues. I understand you were an activist as of a very early age. I did not hear your parents say that you were demonstrating for better working conditions uh, within your first year. But I did hear stories about you when you're still in grade school. How did you get involved in activism? Where did you start out?
1: There were two major influences. One was the church I attended at the time, Groveland Baptist Church, the Good Southern Baptist, was one of the activist churches in Birmingham. And it was the serendipity of the time, the early 60s, mid 50s, early 60s, when uh, particularly the children's crusade in Birmingham I did not get to participate in that. My mother made sure of that, uh, that I was at seven at the time, and she was not going to let me go March, even though the this is the second piece of this influence is that there was a historically black college across the street from my elementary school. And those when those students went to March, they also asked some of the kids from my elementary school to, to go along. So this is both in in the school and in the church. So it was a community-wide sense of activism, the the whole nonviolent movement associated with the civil rights movement at that time. And it was the sense that you are experiencing as a child, the impacts of racism. So you weren't sheltered from it no matter how much your community tried, you were still experiencing it. And so there was this activism that you that, that you had, you know, you took it on. It was just a given that you had to understand what was happening to you. And, and by the same token, I was I've been very concerned throughout the pandemic around the historical legacy of racism in this country and how as a person of color, that's in my body. There's the intergenerational stuff. There's also the stuff of living near airports and interstates in my life of, you know, breathing polluted air. I am particularly vulnerable to, I have a, a, a chronic condition.
0: I want to delve a little bit into the starts of your activism. Again, second grade or something, you're participating in marches or demonstrations. What, what were you doing? Um,
1: <laughs> I'm watching from the sidelines, but I'm seeing the organization that goes into it. I'm learning how to be part of organizations. And that's something that comes through the schools and the churches. Birmingham was at that time a steel town. And there were people in my family that were part of the union. There were people in my church that are parts of the union. Those skills, those organizing skills were being passed along through both the school and the church.
0: And so when did you actually participate? You said your mother wouldn't let you be part of the children's (laughs) crusade. So uh, when did you actually participate and step out so that people were going to start focusing on you as the problem?
1: I guess that, you know, there were other marches I really can't particularly remember too much around Birmingham. What I do remember is in high school in the Vietnam War and marches and teachings. Then, yes.
0: And were you still in Birmingham at that point, or
1: this is? Oh uh, no, this is my Quaker beginning, the George School.
0: <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> well, I also heard some rumors about you not being welcomed sometimes in Birmingham (laughs) kicked out is the word I heard.
1: This is, this is the story I tell people. I, uh, I left Birmingham to go to George school. And then after undergrad school, I returned to Birmingham and I worked in a human service agency and agencies, excuse me, and then got into public transportation and following that, I moved to Florida. And so I say that I only get to stay in Birmingham in 10 to 15 year stretches. And then I, I, have, to, <laughs> I have to move along.
0: So the community didn't make a public proclamation that Beverly Ward has to get no,
1: out. No, no, but <laughs> I still do things there with family. And, and there have been opportunities when I've been able to, to still do some work um, with the community there.
0: So your mother made sure you were not part of the Children's Crusade. Why was that? I mean, I assume she was for equal rights, civil rights, and so on.
1: But it was just uh, her baby girl <laughs> at age seven. And and at that time, they, part of what happened with the Children's Crusade was that there were so many kids that were arrested, that there was no room in the jail. So they were being held. Like at, at the fairground, just in the weather, so it was she was very concerned that I not her baby girl not get caught up in that.
0: <laughs> Did you have other siblings that could participate?
1: I had an older sister who her participation oh, she had her own family that my my sister was twenty one years older than me and had her own families the Important thing about participation, and this is something that I try to stress when I work with with meetings and others, is that your range of activism is everything from writing letters and making phone calls all the way to getting arrested. And, you know, it even goes beyond that. Somebody has to feed the people that, that, are, that are on the line. Somebody has to, do, to raise bail money. You know, so somewhere in that range is something that speaks to your heart. So you figure that out. They, you know, those who observe, you know, that's their role. Those who sing and get people ready and motivated, you know, uh, and pray with them. There's some activity that you can do as long as you're alive to affect change.
0: I think I've never asked this question to someone I've interviewed before, and I've certainly interviewed people of color and those who've been active in civil rights movement. But I don't know if I've ever bothered to ask how much religion had to do with their activism. I think you were hearing stuff preached at church in the Baptist church you were going to that might have predisposed you to be part of civil rights.
1: I will say not necessarily religion, but spirituality, your place in the cosmos. What, you know, what are you being asked to do? And from my community, it was that you are placed here to do something. Then you need to listen to what spirit. And that is part of what draws me to Quakerism. Also, what are you being led to do? Will you leave the world a better place than it was when you arrived? It is not your personal gain. You know that's a bonus if if you if you come out well. But what are you doing for the community and community writ large, not just your little you know neighborhood? But you hope that by bringing your best, that you you help your community bring its best, and then how does that ripple
0: go out in the world? I don't know why it is, but every word you say leads me to other thoughts I haven't had before, but that I think might be valuable in terms of understanding how we make an effective change in the world. One of the things I hadn't really reflected on before I have reflected on the fact that we have an abysmal state of community that is community building in the United States. And the thought that just occurred to me is the richer we are, the less we focus on community. We focus on our things, our power with respect to money, and so on. So the converse side of that would be being relatively poorer, uh, disadvantaged that way, might lead to more community. Was that your experience? Did you see that around you at all?
1: I did, and I think that there are other examples cross-culturally. I'm not going to get this correct, but help, so I would need your help with it. I believe the expression is bien venir, bien vivir, bien vivir, to live well. And live well, not, and bien not really, vivre? Uh, in or, Spanish.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bien vivir. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, I got yeah. that.
1: Yeah, you know, that means that your needs are met, but and, and your needs not just materially. You know, do you have the time to explore music or poetry? You know, and it's not the things. It's how's your relationship with your family, with your friends? How is your community doing? And that is, it was that the health of the community and looking at it from the sense that the community is as healthy as its youngest member or it's the least among the community. I look a lot to permaculture writ large and universal design and principles like that. And one of the things that my partner and I talk about is that the ideal community would be designed so that a four-year-old can navigate it.
0: Uh, well, also, Beverly, there was something you mentioned earlier. And as, as we're talking about it, it, maybe it's because you were talking about anthropology and how it manifests. But also when you mentioned things like permaculture, I know you specifically talked about large monocultures. And I was wondering if there is a pretty clear connection between monocultures and i'm thinking of the earlier ones as cotton tobacco sugar plantations civil rights the the whole mistreatment of minorities if monocultures is inextricably woven into some of the injustices that get built into our society i don't know if that's true but that hypothesis just appeared to me
1: Yes. And it's the way we handle monocultures. Also, I'm going to talk about the intensive agriculture that we do now. You've got petrochemicals to grow our food in everything at every stage. You know, the the fertilizer, petrochemicals. You've got to use you know, huge machines to get the crop into the ground. You've got to use huge machines, you know, using fossil fuels to get the crop out of the ground. You've got to transport it miles across the the globe. It's just bigger and bigger. And we've invested so much. And part of the problem we're having today globally is that this, the bulk of the grain is on one side of it has wound up on one side of the world, and we're trying to get it someplace else. And, and that's, you know, that's not a very good system. And we, <laughs> and we And we have the resources because we can spend those same resources on military equipment. So why couldn't we have been thinking about this before now and spending those resources on spreading out crops, and where we grow them and so that we don't have to travel as far. But and so this is this is a problem of of not just the monocrop, but, the, you know, what are we growing? Are we growing fossil fuel? Because we certainly <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, because that's where our, our resources are going. So it's not just the crop. It's how are we producing it? What are we valuing?
0: There is a whole range of workshops and I understand you can adapt to almost any situation and people just have to look at the Quake Earth Care Witness website, which I'll have on northernspiritradio.org. If they come, I'll link to Beverly Ward's workshops and all the other workshops because there's a wealth of them by a number of people. But a number of the ones that you offer, which were of special interest to me, dovetail in with that concerns about justice and racial equality and equity and so on. Would you talk about the overview of the workshops that you offer?
1: Yes, the easiest way for me to begin talking about them is the discernment, I think, that begins with the individual of looking at how am I living in right relationships with creation? And what does that mean for me? And how am I building? Well, as we talked a minute ago, how am I building community? And what does that mean to me? You know, does that mean, do I become a vegan? How am I looking at my big challenge right I'm, I'm challenging people right now is, you know, once FCNL enact, uh, helps legislation get enacted, what am I doing on the local level to see that? those programs are implemented? How can I be involved? You know, it's not just enough for us to say this is the change we want. What am I doing (laughs) when I have this opportunity to big to follow through with the change? So that's kind of, you know, going from the individual level to the community level to how can I think about this on a global scale? What's going to happen? What is happening when we have millions of people being displaced because of climate change. What Am I looking at our, you know, immigration policies here? How can, I, how can I talk about what is needed, you know, how we're investing in our local community? What is our country doing? Again, back to that same thing. Somewhere along that spectrum is something that pulls at your heart, that is dear to you. I'm not saying that uh, you have to throw yourselves into the street. That would be good for some of these things. But what is it that pulls at your heart? Where, because that it, it, this is all hard work. And to stay with it, it has to be that close to you, that this is what I'm being called. And so that process with the workshops, what I try to do is to give people some of the facts, you know, I can I can I, I, I like numbers. I like making maps. <laughs> and so I'm going to give you the, fat, uh, the the numbers. I'm going to talk about your local community. And then I hope when I do workshops to theorize up and have people see this is how this effect goes out.
0: And are these workshops always just for Quakers or do you give them to the larger environment, the culture so on?
1: Yes, definitely. it's Quakers. I always try to encourage meetings or worship groups to look around their community and to say, you know, if you're not already partnering with this group, there is this group in your community that you might want to think about or inviting if you want to open it up. And this is a way to say, hey, let's work on something together.
0: So give me some examples of places you reach out to and you share this. I mean, you've got your work as an anthropologist. I, I was looking at articles you've written like Making Black Communities Matter: Race, Space, and Resistance in the Urban South, which you co-wrote with Cheryl Rodriguez, and that was for Human Organization Journal of the Society for Applied Anthropology. You're doing that work too. How much of your work is is dedicated mainly to the being secretary for Earth Care?
1: It's a part-time position. I don't see it as part-time. I see it as what I love it because I get to do something I love and, and I, I get some remuneration for it. I get to meet wonderful people. But part of what I like about being an applied anthropologist is I don't have to compartmentalize things. And so I can work across you know, I get to make maps, which I like to do. I get to do the the research part of it. And then I get to say to people, okay, here's what's happening in your community. And to have this dialogue about, does this appeal to you? Is this on your heart? So one example is that during most of the pandemic, I've been living in a small county in Florida, Lake County. And so I'm very much involved with the Environmental and Climate Justice Committee of the local NAACP. Well, we've done two virtual forums around growth in this county. And one of the things that happened is that the county has some of the highest elevation in Florida, and people are moving in from the coast. And this particular county has grown twice as fast as the state of Florida, State of Florida grew twice as fast as the average growth of the U.S. uh, between the 2010 and 2020 censuses. So what our committee is looking at is what does this growth mean? How does this county grow? What are the impacts on low income and minority communities of this growth? How does the county grow smart? And so our first forum just talked about it from a smart growth, equitable growth perspective from within the NAACP and and some organizations. The second forum, we invited elected officials. And we also had somebody from the planning organization to talk about what they were looking at on growth. And we're planning a third forum now, which will be a town hall style. And the youth council from the NAACP is working with us to plan this forum. So this is both There's the piece from the yearly meeting that says, as our field secretary, you work with local organizations, but it also brings in how do you partner with other organizations? How do you bring this dialogue in both from the secular and the sacred? Is that a good example for you?
0: (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Folks, we are speaking with Beverly Ward today for Spirit in Action. Our website is northernspiritradio.org and we'll link you to Beverly Ward and to Quick Earth Care Witness, other organizations she's mentioning that she's active with. And so you can follow up on this kind of work and also the kind of workshops that she offers. She's willing to do them widely, as she just told you. It's her joy to do this work, especially if she can draw you up a map of some sort. (laughs) Yes. And folks, those links are on NordenSpiritRadio.org, along with the links to all of our guests of the past 17 years. We've been doing this since 2005. And just like what Beverly was saying, this is the work of my heart, my spirit, my soul, my center. I've worked as computer programmer consultant for decades, and it's work I do well, but it's not the work of my center and so to find the work of my center, I took a cut and pay, but I do want to remind you that you can donate to Northern Spirit Radio. You can also come to our website and you can post comments on this kind of interview. You can make suggestions for guests that we should have. And you just follow up with our guests. And so there's so many ways to help move the world forward in a good direction. And we try and link those resources on Nordenspiritradio.org. Also, I want to mention, We've got some 45 stations that carry our programs nationwide, and they need your help. Media is such a crucial part of making a change in the world because we need to get the word out. And right now, the mainstream media is controlled by a few financial hands that have their own interests in mind that are preeminent that's not the case with Norton spirit radio i really want to listen to you and i want to bring to you anybody who is doing world healing so please support your local community radio stations like the 45 or so that carry our programs and help them get their message out with help with your hands and with your wallet and let's make a change in the world again beverly ward is here She's an applied anthropologist, and she is also the field secretary for Earth Care for Southeast Yearly Meeting. For those of you who aren't Quaker, that might sound like gobbledygook, but just follow the link from NorthernSpiritRadio.org, and you'll understand quite a bit more how it becomes an integral part of spiritual life to do this kind of work. I want to just ask you to speak a little bit more, Beverly, about that. Uh, you, what you said, you know, it's what's on your heart that should be leading your change and uh, spirituality is, and I'm, I personally, my definition of religion is spirituality and community. So if you're doing spirituality on your own, you can make a difference. But if you do it as part of community, my belief is that your power is supercharged to change the world in a positive way. So could you talk a little bit about your own spirituality? I mean, you said this is the passion of your life.
1: Yes, there is. I was just thinking, as you were talking, there's a a proverb that's attributed as an African proverb, that if you want to travel fast, travel alone. If you want to travel far, travel with a friend. And there is something, I mean, we are social creatures. We like being together. We like doing things together. I'm back again to the four-year-olds. You know, you put a group of four-year-olds in a yard they're going to figure out the rules, they're going to figure out a game, they're going to do something, and they're going to have fun pretty much. You don't really have to bother them. You know, the adults don't really have to do too much. They're going to figure it out. I think that we really do want to, majority of us want to do things together. It is the tyranny of the minority who It's grasping and, you know, mine uh, gets sometimes gets in the way. The rest of us just, you know, want to just play the the or you know, can I do I have enough so that I can go off and make maps? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, that's where my thing is. I basically don't want to spend all of my time taking care of my money. I want to spend my time laughing and talking with my friends, making art. When you caught me, when we opened up this morning, I was dancing in my chair. I, you know, These are things that give me joy. And there's such beauty in creation and in each other. And we don't really make the time to appreciate that. And so that's where I am. I I want that time to see that in the world, in creation, and 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 the people I meet.
0: What's the difference between being a Baptist and being a Quaker? <laughs> you I mean you grew up you grew up Baptist. I think most of your life, you know, I've identified as a, a Baptist, right?
1: Maybe not. I've been a Quaker for more than thirty years, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so I think for me as a Quaker I am asked to do more personally about my relationship with creation. I still read the Bible, I read lots of other I read Tiknakan, I read a uh, lots of things, but the discernment, I'm not waiting on somebody else to tell me how my relationship is or the like the preacher or whatever. It is that work And and that's particularly as a member of an unprogrammed meeting. That's the hard work I do every day is that really. And that's the biggest difference. And it's not that it wasn't there. And it may have been just because of the age I was when I was a Baptist. But that's a big difference for me. I'm not depending on this intermediary. You know, it's me and you, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's really deep for me, because it is something that, as I said, that's every day. And I, I really like the sense of Quakers, like every day is a holy day. You know, you're trying for every experience to have that sacredness.
0: Yeah, in case any of our listeners out there to Norton Spirit Radio, to Spirit in Action, misunderstood it. I am not saying one's better than the other. I am saying, though, that there are differences and difference in emphases and difference in tendencies. I think there are beautiful, God-inspired, people who are spiritually changing the world in every religion and every non-religion as well. So I, I see that as being universal, but there's some fields where some seeds grow better than other fields. Mm-hmm. And so the nutrients uh, in the community in which you grow make a difference to you, mm-hmm. depending on who you are and what you need. Because we're on radio, Beverly, I can't, have you show a map, but your enthusiasm about maps makes me want to ask you, well, what kind of maps do you make and how does this help in the whole earth care work or in in injustice and that? What kind of maps would you like to be able to show our listeners for spirit and action?
1: Well, there's one map that I share that came from, I share it quite often. It was a map about toxic places in the U.S. It was a study that was done in 1987, just looking at communities where there are toxic sites. And the majority of those sites were where people of color and low-income communities were. This is an, it was an example of environmental racism. And so when I talk with communities, because of the history of racism in this country, We can look at residential segregation and where low income and minority people live, and they tend to be areas that are less desirable. The example I gave you of living near airports or interstates and so on. So, when I drill down to the community level, I look at where people are living and who lives there and what might be the impacts that the communities are experiencing. You know, I talked a little bit about sea level rise in in Florida, what's happening now is that we're getting, we're experiencing climate gentrification, areas of cities that were thought to be, oh no, we, uh, you know, that's where the poor people live. They're becoming gentrified and it's due to the impacts of climate. They're becoming desirable. So low-income people are sometimes being moved from those areas or they're no longer able to afford to live in those areas. Because they're being gentrified, so those are the types of maps that I look at, like where do people live, and how are humans using this space there's all kinds of things like you could I can do temple maps to show like there are certain areas where people of color or women are not in those spaces at certain times of day. Hmm. Uh, uh yeah.
0: <laughs> so are you a GIS expert too? Uh
1: not an expert, but that GIS is one of my tools of research.
0: Your work again as field secretary for Earth Care for Southeast Yearly Meeting. And remember folks, the links are on org, so you can find out what all this stuff means if I'm speaking Quaker arcana. Please <laughs> Follow the links and it'll be made clear quickly enough. A lot of your focus has to do with youth. I, you said that the whole existence of this started from a minute produced by a decision group by some Quaker youth. Uh, so I'm not sure if they're into these maps to the same degree. What kind of stuff do you take to youth to help equip their work for the world?
1: Well, that's something that's really interesting because I sometimes teach a class on weather climate and society and I teach a, a research methods class in combination with a uh, professor uh, Robin Ersing at University of South Florida and it's it's a, a National Science Foundation program that that we do I bring to the youth my research skills and they they keep me abreast of the latest uh social media so that's the trade-off so what I do with that and it is it is making the research accessible. And one of the things I want to do within our yearly meeting is to pair up the youth, like a, a younger, you know, someone in elementary school with someone maybe in middle school or high school and have them do interviews like at our annual gathering and then present their information. Have them design the the you know the instrument, collect the data, show them how to analyze it and report it back. And it could be, you know, if they wanted to do inventory of what are members of Southeastern Yearly Meeting doing around the environment, that's something that the youth could do and I could show them how to do it. And one of the projects we did this past year at Half Yearly Meeting was the Quakers in the UK started a a Loving Earth project where they were making panels with textiles, just, you know, something that you love about the earth and you did it like on this 12 by 12 panel. Well, we did a few of those at half yearly meeting and shipped them off to the UK. And so they're going to be part of the loving earth display that's going on. So there are all kinds of ways. It's up to me to make the material accessible whether you're a four-year-old or a (laughs) 94-year-old. But that's what I have to do is find out how to make the information accessible to you. And that's where I bring my skills.
0: I don't know how many years ago it was. I was interviewing somebody with the Quaker Earthquakers Action Team, and they had been doing some activism around trying to get some Pennsylvania-based banks to divest from mountaintop removal and other such earth-harming actions. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, there's something tickling about someone down in Florida or maybe Southeast Yearly meeting, somehow being involved in pressuring the bank. Do you have some knowledge of this?
1: Yes, the PNC Bank was on the periphery of, of that The PNC Bank uh, was involved in mountaintop removal. PNC Bank was headquartered in Pennsylvania or whatever. And there were protests around uh, around the bank and mountaintop
0: removal. In particular with respect to the shareholders.
1: Right. So they decided, yes. So the bank decided to have their shareholders meeting in Tampa because, you know, (laughs) Would think there were any Quakers. So it turned out there were Quakers in Tampa. They organized, they <laughs> went in <laughs> they had, and that was the flip. It was like, well, my goodness, we thought we were getting away from them by like coming to Tampa and here they are here. And so it was the pressure and just that whole Quaker network of, okay, can we, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a, a perfect example of just, you just never know. You just stay in it. And here, you know, if you're ready, you know, that's how it happens. You just never know that little piece.
0: (laughs) Again, folks, we're speaking with Beverly Ward. And so she's got this role with respect to the Quakers, basically Florida, some Georgia, I guess South Carolina is included a little bit in there. There's So it's covering this corner of the United States and she's field secretary for Earth Care one of the things that you're supposed to do is share information, both from outside and inside. So I saw something that was from Gainesville meeting that you posted, uh, being part of project drawdown. So tell me about that kind of thing. Are you you number one number to dial on everybody's phones? (laughs) We've got information or it's your email or how do you act as this nexus of information?
1: There's several ways. Part of it is I tell meetings that, well, basically meetings invite me to do workshops with them. I teasingly say to meetings, you need to invite me or otherwise I'll come and do an audit, (laughs) 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 an earth (laughs) care audit. But uh, the other thing is I uh, particularly during the pandemic, I visit a lot of meetings virtually. And just show up without an agenda, but just to, you know, see how things are going. It is always about relationship building. And, and quite often, uh, like your earlier question, friends will say, well, you know, there's only five or six of us. And I say, that's fine. Why don't you think about, you know, there's, I know that there's this other group in your community. Why don't you think about inviting them also? And particularly if we're doing it online, there's a way for all of us to reach out. So it it can vary. There is the website. There's also, I post a lot uh, to Facebook, Particularly reports and stories, uh, that I think are, may be of interest to friends. I don't use social media as, I, as much as I probably should. I've been debating with myself, uh, about whether or not to get a TikTok account. <laughs> <But> <laughs> because, uh, my, my students tell me that nobody's on Facebook except for people my age anymore. But I do tweet sometimes that people I follow and people that follow me. And so, The thing is, and this is, again, part of the skill set is if I am to reach people, I've got to go where they are. And so, and again, if I go where you are and I figure out what you're interested in, then I can figure out how we can work together.
0: You know, there's a few more things I want to get in, Beverly, before our hours up. One of them is, I saw on your site that the Bon Jeverly troupe performed Envisioning a Global Green New Deal Collection at SEYM's half-yearly meeting. Yes. What was that about?
1: Oh, thank you. Every two years in the Climate Change Theater Action makes available 50 plays. And the idea is that you collaborate with climate change Theatre Action. you get access to all 50 plays. And this occurs around the uh, United Nations Conference of Parties. And so it's every other year, the, the COP. And since 2017, my partner John and I have been collaborating with them, we get all 50 plays. And so for two years until another set of plays come out, we just do these plays like at half yearly meeting. We've done them at gathering. We sometimes make, uh, record them and post them to Facebook. We've done them with the Florida NFA Climate Action Network. We've done them at QEW. We've done, we've done them quite a place. But so the idea is that we're, we, we both like theater and the plays are usually, well, all the plays are less than 10 minutes. They can be from one person to a cast of hundreds. (laughs) But (laughs) but, uh, the idea is that it's a way to begin the discussion around climate change. I know that you know Peterson Toscano. Sure. Peterson has has written plays for climate change theater action. So, as I said, you know, you got to go where the people are. So, you just, how can I reach you? That is, yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, I didn't catch until you mentioned it. John and Beverly, Bon Beverly, yeah, yeah. how very clever. And it's also very, I'm very, I think you're very wise to draw on your BA degree. You had a major in film drama. I, I hadn't realized that you've been able to live it out so vivaciously in the years since.
1: Well, well, there's also the Living Mirror Playback Theater. But yeah, so playback is another form of theater that that we're involved with.
0: So just a couple things more. Is there a counterpart, because you're acting as field secretary for earth care for this Quaker group down in southeast U.S., you must have to interface with other religions, other groups who have something similar. Is there a counterpart to the field secretary for earth care in Baptist or Buddhist groups around where you are or Catholic? I mean, is this a position that is similar in other groups you know of?
1: I do have someone that I play well with in the Unitarian Universalist, Jan Boer, here in Florida, who has like an equivalent position. And we've actually done some research together. We did a a study on sunny day flooding down in South Florida. Yeah. And we we was working in a community. It was was Quakers, the UUs, Florida International University, and people from the Shorecrest community. And we actually collected samples of water that was coming for those people who are not familiar with sunny day flooding. When there are high tides about September, October and November, mostly in Florida, uh, and it's now going around the whole coastline of Florida, that water will actually come up from through the sewer into the streets and flood on sunny days. And so we were collecting water samples to see what was in the water and you know, recording the depth and all of that and and working with the community to show them how to collect their own data and report what's happening to
0: them. So there are partnerships you're working in and, yes. and encouraging mutual support, I imagine. One other thing that I wanted to address, and this is not directly related to earth care. But you've been deeply involved with alternatives to violence projects, and you're a facilitator for that. And I've interviewed people previously related to AVP, as it's normally called, including doing trauma healing workshops in Colombia. Could you mention a little bit what role this AVP, this alternatives to violence project plays in your activism and in your spirituality, I think?
1: Thank you for that question. The Alternatives to Violence Project, I know you mentioned people, you've interviewed others. The growth of that from prisoners in Greenhaven asking Quakers to help them develop a program to find an alternative to violence and not just physical violence, but also verbal and how, again, how we interact with each other. And that's what AVP is all about. And I... Oh, goodness. I've been a facilitator and been involved with it for at least a couple of decades now. It is a practice of building right relations. The workshops are experiential. For me, it is a set of skills. It's part of my toolkit. You know, how do we talk about, you know, not that there isn't conflict, but how do you how do you address conflict how do you say this hurt how do you, and once you say this hurt how do you how do you continue to be in relationship with people so there is all of that there is also the trauma uh healing for trauma i really wish that we did more uh healing for trauma within the us and that's my big thing because there is a lot of hurt in our communities in the US that we've never addressed. And I bring this, as I mentioned earlier, I don't like to compartmentalize. So I I don't leave that part of me at home when I do the earth care work. It is about being in relationship. And I try to bring those skills from AVP to this work, as opposed to talking about how we got To this, which is important. But how do we get how do we recognize the harm that has been done, heal from that, heal ourselves in an effort to heal our relationship to creation?
0: Well, Beverly, unfortunately, we don't have more time to talk. I'm sure folks that will have certain excerpts of this that we can't fit in a 55-minute broadcast come to northernspiritradio.org to see those excerpts to hear the full uncut version of the program Thank you so much, Beverly, for your work, for the earth, for maps, for (laughs) civil rights, from your earliest youth, the many ways that you see the whole of the world and work on healing it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed this so much talking to you.
0: And again, those links are on northernspiritradio.org for Beverly Ward, for Quaker Earth Care Witness, and for other resources, workshops, which I'm sure Beverly would be happy to get you involved with. So please come via northernspiritradio.org, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action.